long extended discourse that Jesus talks with his disciples as they as he's preparing to be arrested, as he's preparing to leave, and he gives them he's, these parting words, but then he shifts into a prayer. In the middle, after he's given this long discourse, it says that after when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And then we get this, this long prayer. It's actually the longest prayer that Jesus prays, and he prays it specifically for his disciples, the people who he was about to leave. He prays to God in front of them, apparently, so that they could hear and they could know what he longed for them. I think it might have been kind of awkward, to be honest. But you can tell a lot about what someone's heart is by the way that they pray, the kinds of things that they reflect on, the kinds of things that they plead with God for. And so uh, the question is, is what is it that Jesus longs for his disciples as they enter into a season of great distress? This prayer is a little bit too much, though, for for one pass, and so we're going to take two different looks at it, and um, I guess it's kind of kind of like an Oreo, right? You split apart the Oreo and you eat the middle first. We're going to look at the middle part of this prayer this week and come back to the, the ends next week. So if you have your Bible or the bulletin printed in front of you, we're going to be taking a look this morning at John, John chapter 17, starting in verse 6. Jesus prayed, I have manifested your name, speaking to God the Father, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, as we hear this prayer that Jesus prayed on that night, Lord, in all the 
hundreds of thousands of things that could have been on his mind and his heart. His disciples were the predominant one. He focuses in on them and by extension us as he prays for them, as he prays for their good, as he prays that they would be kept secure in you. Lord, I pray that we would find our keeping in you this morning. Lord, that the spirit that you gave those those disciples is the spirit that you give to us to be our ever-present help in times of trouble. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like many of you, um, I have spent a little more time with my children at home over the past few weeks. And and there's a funny thing about it because it starts to bring back all these memories of, of childhood. And, and this week we, we made some cookies. And I remember as a kid coming into the kitchen, right, coming in from outside or from upstairs or, or from wherever I was playing and, and coming into the kitchen and being greeted by the smell of, of cookies in the oven, right? And coming into the kitchen and, and you can see the, you know, the bowl and the mixer, you can see the flour and the sugar all out as mom is, is pulling pans out of the oven and, and putting new cookies in. And you can see the line of, of cookies that are cooling there on the counter and, and your uh, spirits raise dramatically in, in short order, right? But then as you go to take that cookie from the cooling rack, mom goes, nah, those are for company. Those cookies are reserved for company. Those are for when uh, our friends come over, or those are for, for me to take to, to my Bible study or, or group that's getting together. Those are, are for, for the family event that we are going to. Those cookies are not for you. Those cookies are set aside. Those cookies are reserved for a special purpose. And immediately, you know, like your, your whole spirit and soul is crushed as a kid instantly at this news, right? You, can I have just one, right? But those cookies, mom would treat and she would protect those like they were the Ark of the Covenant or something. This holy artifact which could not be defiled by the common and ordinary use, she would guard it with such uh, fervency, right? Such passion that, like, you do, do you remember the, uh, the story in the Bible, like, where this this guy named Uzzah, and he goes and he touches the Ark of the Covenant, this most holy of objects, right? And, and because he touches it, God is so passionate to preserve his holiness that, the, that he falls dead right there on the spot. Uzzah would perfectly understand my mother's reaction to me trying to steal a cookie, right? She, she guarded this, protected this special cookies with utmost concern, right? A passion. We come to this prayer of Jesus, and it, it feels a little trite to be saying it, but, but we, I think the thing that is distilled in this passage, the, the point that is most obvious the point that he comes back to over and over again is that he has prepared these cookies right that he has prepared these disciples that he has pulled them outside of the ordinary common use and he has set them apart for a very special job and he 
wants to make sure that they are protected. He wants to make sure that these holy disciples are maintained for their purposes. It feels like kind of a strange thing, but I think the theme of Jesus' prayer for his disciples is that he is passionate to preserve their holiness. Now, if you are like me, that word holiness has this sort of a, a characteristic that makes it almost annoying, right? In the midst of a, of a pandemic, in the midst of, of heartache and, and fear and confusion, why do we need a sermon about holiness at a time like this? Why in the midst of all of our concerns, I mean, don't we have enough to worry about? Don't we have enough to feel bad about ourselves for? Don't we have enough frustration already without beating our heads against the wall? Why do we need to talk about holiness, this thing that feels like this abstract ideal at a time when we're in the midst of a physical crisis? And yet, if we are people who want to believe in Jesus, if we're people who want to follow and to know Jesus, we have to know that Jesus, in the midst of his impeding death, prays for his disciples' holiness first and foremost. I think part of the confusion, part of the difference between us and Jesus, though, is, is that when we hear the word holiness, we think of the rules and, and the, the, the sorts of obligations of the, the Christian life. And so we think about holiness primarily in the sense of how can I become holy? How can I be holy, right? How do I maintain the right shape and size and consistency, right, where, where God can uh, look at me and say, you are a holy cookie, right? Like you've made the cut. You're okay to be kept. But Jesus is not so much concerned with how the cookies are made because as we will find, he says, that's my job. What Jesus is concerned about is the cookie's function. What Jesus is concerned about is that he has marked, about our, he has marked off these people for a function and for a purpose, and he is desperately concerned that they fulfill that function. His concern is, will the cookie get to the guest? Will the, will the cookie be enjoyed and, and will it bring delight to the guest? His concern is not, are you holy? His concern is, will you be kept for the purpose which I made you? You see, in the same way that mom was jealously concerned with keeping her cookies for the company, Jesus is jealously concerned with keeping his followers for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus doesn't ask why we need to talk about holiness at a time like this. Jesus says it is for such a time as this that I have made you holy, that I have set you apart. You see, our holiness to be set apart is to be set apart for the kingdom of God. And so this morning I want us to look at a couple of things, three things which I think Jesus in his prayer models. The question is, is what is it that Jesus longs for? 
for those whom he has already made holy, those whom he has already set apart for the kingdom of God. So what is it does Jesus long for for those whom he has made holy? He wants them to be wholly committed to the truth. You know, it's ironic that uh, for much of the world, in the West anyway, to, to be a Christian, or really to be a person of any prescribed religious faith, right, is to be almost anonymous being a person who sticks their head in the ground, right, who ignores the evidence, who, who uh, ignores common sense. But it's ironic because in the Bible's estimation, in Jesus' estimation, Christians are known primarily for being the people who, in the midst of a world of smoke and mirrors, they are the ones who are committed and steadfastly tie themselves true, following the truth wherever it may lead. They are the people who know what is real in the world and what is an illusion, that they are the people who, who know what is good and they're not tempted by fool's gold. You can hear it here in the prayer uh, in verse 8. Jesus says, For I have given them, I've given the disciples the words that you gave me, God, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And again, later on, uh, in verse 17, Jesus says, Sanctify, make them holy, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's their knowledge of what's real that sets them apart. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself so that they may also be set apart, sanctified in truth. Jesus wants these disciples to know and to remember who they are. That they are a people who has been set apart for a particular purpose. And thus they've received a, a particular set of training. A few weeks ago, I was uh, talking to... Uh, to someone who had, was a member of one of the, the special operation groups that our country employs, right? You know, the, the Army Rangers, the Marines, the Navy SEALs, the Delta Force, right? And I, like probably most, uh, many other people in his life, was prodding him, right? They was trying to get him to say, like, but really, who's the best, right? Really, who's the, the toughest? Really, who's, who's the most skilled, the, the highest trained? Really, who's... Uh, what's the best, right? And he, of course, didn't, didn't take my bait, right? But he, he instead pointed out to me, you know, we say all those groups like they're the same thing, but they're not at all the same thing, right? Those groups uh, carry out very different missions around the world. They have very different purposes which they have been trained for. They've received instruction and, and experience in particular circumstances. So it's not really a matter of who is tougher, it's for what purpose is the group better. 
Jesus in this text is saying that you, disciples, you who have learned from me, your training has been to know what is real in the world. To know that the story of the world climaxes in this God who becomes man. That what is true and what is real, your knowledge is what sets you apart. It's your task that I have brought you that makes you different, that makes you holy. And it does, doesn't it? If, if this story of Palm Sunday, right, if, if God took on flesh and rode into the streets of Jerusalem for the sole purpose of being crucified on the cross, if God himself took on human flesh for the purpose that he would die. If that is the story of the world, if that is what is real, then it changes absolutely everything else about their lives, right? If they're to be a people who is wholly committed to the truth, then it changes the way that they go to, to, to plow the ground, metaphorically, on, on Monday, right? It changes the way that they um, react to, to their brother who, who rips them off and, and doesn't pay them back. It, it changes the way that they respond to their neighbor who is in need or in crisis or hurt, it changes it because they are people who know the real story. And so they're not responding to their passions and desires. They're responding to what is true of the world. And so because they know uh, who they are, as they are a group of people who know the truth, Jesus prays for what they need. And that is for them to be protected. For them and their knowledge of what is real in the world. For them and their ability to see through the glasses of this revelation of God. Jesus prays, keep them in your name, God. In verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You see, Jesus prays this because he knows that the smoke and the mirrors of this world confuse and blind us still today. This week, we find ourselves in the time and place where God has called us in, in the midst of the era of the, the coronavirus pandemic. And with the, the coronavirus pandemic is quite a bit of smoke. There's quite a bit of, of distractions and reflections and distortions around us that could make us lose sight of what is real. You know, what's interesting is to look over at uh, China, right, and to see what is some of the effects, right? What lies ahead of us in the coming weeks from regions where the virus has already uh, advanced farther than it has here anyway. And one of the interesting things is that as um, restrictions are loosened and as people are able to get back to their business, one of the first places that they're going is, is to the lawyer's office to file for a divorce. There's, you know, numbers are hard to, to estimate, uh, particularly from the other side of the world, but, but different... Uh, Articles I've seen suggest that at least a 25 to 50 percent increase in the divorce rate that is happening out of the course of the coronavirus. 
right? And if you're uh, married, this might not be that hard for you to imagine that that's the case, right? All of the things that have been going on between you, all the problems that you've been able to ignore, all the, the disagreements and the misalignments, right? All the frustrations that you've had, but in normal life, you can drown out those and pretend that they're not there, pretend that they don't exist, or at least pretend that they're not important because you have other things to worry about. All of a sudden, you are confined into a single place, and you have nothing but time to infuriate and frustrate one another. You have nothing but time to feel sorry about yourself and to, to, forget, to forget that you are pretty tough to live with too. You have nothing but time to make you uh, forget just how much grace is needed and how much forgiveness is needed. You see, the smoke of our individual isolation makes us forget what is real. That we are a people who can forgive because we've been forgiven. But us being cooped up, us feeling deprived, us feeling anxious has placed us not just in a health crisis uh, from the virus itself and the financial crisis of of the economy, but also of a, a mental, emotional health crisis. Right, And in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of varying things, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, boredom, whatever it is that we're feeling, we can become so wrapped up in what we're experiencing that we forget to know the story of where we are. Jesus desperately prays that God would protect us, that he would keep us from the evil one because it is in these times That we forget what is true. And so we feel panic as we look at a a bank statement because we forget the truth that we are cared for and fed by our Father in heaven. We feel depression at a bank statement because we forget that our worth is not found in what we have but in whose we are. We feel relief or calm, perhaps, when we look at a bank statement because we forget that our trust is wholly committed on God, that our life is sustained by God and not our resources. You see, the smoke of the world tells you you should feel secure when you look at an ample bank statement because it means that you're protected. But if you know the story of Jesus, then you know that your true Relief comes not from material possessions, but from a God in heaven. Of course, we could replace bank statement with any number of things. We could replace it with health, right? That you feel panic when you uh, feel every cough and, and, and hiccup in your voice because you forget that you are cared for by your father. You feel depression at your worsening health symptoms, right? Condemned to die, you feel in the coronas because you forget that your worth is not in being fit and active, but your worth is found in being a child of God, right? You feel relief that you are young and healthy because you trust health and youth to protect you instead of a God who protects you. Right? We could do it again with relationships. You feel panic at the state of your marriage or your friendship with your roommate or your isolation, just the pure lack of relationship. 
right? You feel depression, you feel relief or calm because someone seems to like you and all of those things were ignoring the truth. But what Jesus wants for his disciples as they walk through very, very dark season of their lives, as they face hardships which seem unimaginable, is he wants them to be a people who are wholly committed to what is true. And so as we go through this period, and many of us are experiencing an unending fast, right? We've been deprived of the things that normally comfort us, the things that normally distract us. And many of us, our response to that is to try to find other things to distract us, other things to consume us, other things to make us forget what is going on in the world. But Jesus has set us apart for such a time as this to be people who look at themselves, who look at one another, who look at the place of where our church is as a whole and is willing to look at the truth. So that, so that we feel free to come to Jesus, so that we can be a people not, who are not holy because we're, we're always right, but holy because we come back to the God who saved us. And if we can do those things, then we'll, we will leave this season not uh, feeling a, a sigh of relief, but we will leave this season having experienced and found and been reminded again of the freedom that comes in God's forgiveness. Did you hear it in verse 13? Jesus says, I speak these things into the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. If we leave this time of fasting without a prolonged and defined season of confession and repentance and realignment with the truth, then I fear that we've lost a great opportunity. But what else does Jesus pray for? What is it that Jesus longs for his disciples to experience in his prayer? And I want to suggest the second thing is that Jesus longs for those whom he has made holy to be wholly committed to the mission of God's kingdom. Read with me in verses uh, 13 and on. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I'm going to follow the, 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 the uh, footnotes here. And for their sake, I set myself apart for holy service to God, that they also may be set apart for holy service to God. See, to be holy is just to be uh, like those cookies set aside for company, right? It's to be set aside for a purpose. And, but this is not the prayer that we would pray, right? If we uh, have uh, any moment of clarity and we look at uh, what it means to be one who is pulled aside and, and marked with a special purpose, and we look at the burdens and the trials of this world, what we pray, uh, Lord, why don't we just skip over this, right? Why don't we just skip over this and, and get to the easy part? 
It's like the uh, disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, and, and Jesus says, let us go down from here, you know, and, and they're like, no, we'll, we're good. We'll just stay up here with you, Jesus. Like, we'll, well, we don't need to go back down the mountain, right? Or at the Last Supper when Jesus says, um, I'm leaving, and where I go, you cannot follow. And they go, uh, I don't like that plan. No, Jesus, I'll, we'll come with you. How does that sound, Jesus? Don't leave us here. Don't leave us uh, in the midst of these headaches and understandings. Jesus, we'd much rather you pray that we can bypass all the griefs and sorrows and losses of this world. But Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus says it is for this purpose. It is for this time that I have called you out. It is for this time that I have set you aside. It is for this time that I have trained you in truth. And because in the same way, it says, as Jesus prays, as to the Father, as you sent me to the earth, right? As you sent me to come and to live in the midst of earth, but not be of the earth. In the same way that you have sent me from heaven to earth, I have called these people out of earth to be a distinct group of people so that they, just like I did, live in the world with neighbors, with friends, with enemies, with people that we like and people that we don't like. All right, Jesus says, I have called them to be in the world, but they in their essence are not of this world because I have called them out. Jesus says that we have been taken out. We have been made holy. We have been called to God's special purposes for the purpose of being sent back in. That we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We have been set apart, not so that we look down on others or that we scoff at others, but so that we might bring the truth to them. And so Jesus prays for his disciples to be in the world, to embrace the shared sorrows and heartaches of their neighbors, to live in, in community and in fellowship, to, to like the same kinds of things that they like and to and to be engaged and, and, and fully committed with them in their sorrow and in their pain and in their frustration. Jesus wants his disciples to be in the world, but he wants them to be not of the world. right? He wants them to be people who have been set apart for the purpose of showing the world what is true and good. To show the world that the kingdom is coming. And so he gives them truth, words that they can believe and share. But he also gives them this, this, this uh, one pastor calls it this threatening beauty. This holiness, this distinctness of knowing, being people who know the truth gives them a certain beauty in the world that the, the, the kingdom of God becomes believable. Right, that when people look at the church, when people look at us as a church family, that they would see the beauty of what God can do. Right, it, for example, like it wouldn't do very much good, right, uh, for me to go around advertising uh, recommendations for a, a hipster barber, right? People would take one look at my haircut and be like, yeah, I don't think you really know what you're talking about, right? 
Or in the same way, they, they, they probably would not look at me and be like, hey, do you have any recommendations? I'm trying to, you know, get beefed up here, right? You know any bodybuilding gyms? I want to enter a competition, right? They, w- they would take a look at my physique and be like, mm, I'll probably find somebody else's recommendation, right? Now, if they were looking uh, in the market for a minivan, now that's a different story, right? But what if our neighbors are in the market for truth? Do they see us and see us as people who might have an inclination of where to point them? What if they're in the market for, for beauty, for joy? What if they're in the market uh, for trying to understand how it is they can get past deep hurt and, and, and experience real forgiveness? What if they're in the market for a hope that doesn't fade with the ups and downs of the economy or the ups and downs of health? Are we a people? Are we a people to whom they could look at us and say, maybe, just maybe they have something real? Are we the kinds of people to whom the world can look at and say, There is love, and there's joy, there's peace, there's patience, there's kindness, there's goodness, there's self-control. Are we the kind of people who can point the world to truth? Jesus says, as I have been sent into the world, so I have sent them, so I have commissioned them. And Jesus tells us that if we're going to be sent in the same way that he is sent, we're sent for, in many ways, the same purpose as he is sent, right? Not to do the thing, not to do his job, but to accomplish his purpose, right? And Jesus has just told us before his thing that it is for this reason, for the reason of his death, that he has come to this hour because he cares about the world. So Jesus' prayer here for the disciples that they would be in the world, not foreign or above or outside of its hurts and sorrows, but engaged and inside it. But not of the world because they have been exposed to real truth and trained in its wings before the world. For the world, enough to care about whether the sorrows and the burdens are lifted. Care enough to plead and pray for the God of mercy to show it to them. Right, if we have go through this season of the coronavirus and we leave it sitting upon a, a throne of hoarded toilet paper, right? If we leave this season and we know nothing, uh, we've learned nothing other than uh, a few funny lines from Tiger King, then we have not found in our time here in this time and place uh, a way to pray for our neighbor. We've not found a way to, to use our time to, to sew face masks or to, to provide uh, financial resources or to, to, to volunteer our, our efforts and our emotions towards the good of our neighbors. If we leave this time and we've not checked in on our friends and neighbors and, and asked them how we can be for their good we've not found some way to learn about, to attend to, or to meet the needs of others, then we are missing our chance to be the people that God made us to be, those whom he has set apart for the good of the world. 
Finally, what does Jesus long for those whom he has made holy? He desires for his people to be wholly committed to grace. You see, Jesus in his prayer is... Uh, in in the, uh, a very beautiful and strong way, calling them conform to conformity to truth, right? To to call his disciples to conformity uh, to the mission, but he's revealing all the while that the way that they will fulfill those callings is by being willing to be conformed by grace. The section we read today starts in verse six. For example. I, Jesus, have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Notice who did the action. Jesus. He says in verse 19, the last verse in our section we're looking at today, and and Jesus says, And for their sake I have consecrated myself. For their sake I have consecrated myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. You see, all of the the prayers that Jesus prays, he gives us this great high calling towards holiness, but he don't forget this whole thing's a prayer, not a command. Jesus is speaking to the Father because he realizes that it is the Father's work in them. It is the Father's work through them that will bring about this holiness. And when Jesus says, I consecrate myself. I make myself holy. What is he talking about? Jesus didn't have any slip-ups to clean up. Jesus didn't have any mess-ups to to atone for. Jesus is saying uh, in this context that he is coming to do a deed. That when Jesus explicitly, I think in this text, is, is telling us that he is going to the cross to die a death for the sake of the people, Jesus is reminding us that you can't do what I'm calling you to do if I don't haven't done it for you first. Jesus is telling them that a transformation is necessary. You see, there's a profound temptation when we hear the scriptures and when we hear Jesus pray this prayer um, that we, we hear of him talk about that these would be people who, who abide in the truth, right? And, and who have heard and received, right? There's a great temptation to hear him talk about the mission to be in the world and, and for the world and, to, and to, to, to think that somehow this is something that is a, a burden on us to do, a burden on us to, to implement. And But what Jesus is saying throughout this whole passage is, is that God does the transforming work. And so if you are trying to, to, to conform yourself to the truth of the scriptures, right, without being transformed by God, then you are in a very uh, impossible place. Right? If you think about a mold that you would pour metal into right, to, to form an item, Jesus is saying in this passage that, that he has taken those whom he has called to be holy, he has melted them down, right, and he has poured them into a new form. They, they fit a different shape. But some of us, when we hear Jesus talking about being conformed to truth, we, we try to twist and conform distort ourselves, right, to fit into this mold that we have not been transformed from. And so we come up with a list of, of do's and don'ts, legalism and worries that we will be crushed by because we've not been transformed to fit the shape of the mold. 
Similarly, we uh, could be people who have been transformed by God, but yet somehow uh, we look at the, the mold of, the, of our own lives, right? The old lives that could be focused on ourselves, that could be focused on our own pleasure. And while we uh, know that we've been transformed, we can try to contort and fit ourselves to be self-gratifying, to be selfish, to be people who are concerned with their happiness over the good of the world. And in either place, you will feel crushed and overwhelmed. But if we are reminded that we must be wholly committed to be recipients of grace, then you will experience not a guilty grief that forces you to try and contort yourself out of the mold of what God has made you, but you will feel a godly grief. And you will recognize that you are trying to fit into a mold that you were never made to fit. That you are trying to, to live as those who is not called out by God. Those who have not been set aside by God when God has made you to be his own. It is Palm Sunday. And I think what this text is reminding us is Jesus goes at length to describe how he has pulled out these disciples, how he has protected these disciples, how he has ensured that they would be set aside for the purpose of bringing in his kingdom. Jesus is reminding us that to, to praise Jesus and to sing Hosanna is actually our native tongue. To be involved in, in grief and hardship and to know that their Father is in heaven is what we have been made to do. And so when we hear our voice being uh, betraying Jesus, when we hear our voice running away from Jesus, when we hear our voice saying, I never knew that man like Peter did, that's not what's normal, that's what's abnormal. Because Jesus has already set us apart. Jesus has already transformed us. And so Jesus prays for his disciples, and he prays for those, all who would believe in their testimony here in the next verse. It's actually not printed for you, but um, he prays that so that God would set them apart, so that they would be the kinds of people who are distinct in their adherence to what is true and what is good and what is right in the world, and they would be distinct because of the mission of God's kingdom that they would be wholly devoted to those things because they have experienced God's transforming grace. In the coming hours and days and weeks, we will be asked over and over and over again, what does it mean to be the church in this era that we find ourselves? What does it mean to be the church that responds to the threats and the harms of this world? What does it mean to be the church who believes in a good God in the midst of suffering? And I think that God has set us apart, that God has called us to be forgiven and transformed in his grace so that for the purpose of being the church in this time and in this place. So in the hours that we have been given to live. I pray that Jesus would allow us to see his truth thrive in our midst. And I pray that he would uh, allow us to see God's world flourish through who we are and who he's made us to be. Pray with me.
God, we pray this morning that you would continue the work that you started in us. Lord, we do not know what is coming our way, but Lord, you do. And you have prepared a people for your own good, Lord, to represent your truth and goodness and beauty in this world. And Lord, I pray that you would equip us to do it. Lord, keep us and protect us from the devil's snares. Lord, do not allow us to be distracted or confused, but lead us in your truth, for your word is truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes you stay somewhere 